watching my fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Oh, guys. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome to the show. I'm clapping for you. Clap for the miracle. How would we know that you want the miracle if you don't keep clapping? Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. I'm so happy to have you on this Wednesday, the 20th of February, the year of our Lord 2019. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to have you on tonight. This is a Muddied Waters Media production. You can check us out on Facebook. You can check us out on YouTube, Instagram, SoundCloud, Twitter, iTunes, Spreaker. I think we're on Stitcher. We're on Google play whatever however you do podcasting on google play i think i already said itunes we're everywhere we are not currently on periscope this episode is not on periscope because periscope sucks and i hate it and i can't get it to work and that's definitely their fault not mine um but usually we're on periscope just not tonight so thank you again for joining us um thank you as always to kroger for the delicious purified drinking water that i drink on there can you see that yep on this and every episode of my fellow americans bula vanaka the intro and outro music that I play on this and every episode of My Fellow Americans is from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook. Check him out on SoundCloud. Go to his Bandcamp. He has a site called Bandcamp. Go on there. Buy all of his music. It's like $8. You'll be so happy. As always, shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him as always. Uh, guys, my guest tonight is a really good friend of mine. It's someone in, that I'm very excited to have on. He is a... Uh, uh, he's been a contributor on CNN. He's been a contributor. He's a routine contributor on Fox News and many other national and international media outlets. He is also the founder and executive director of Unhyphenated America, uh, an online publication that addresses issues that divide Americans. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, to my fellow Americans, Mr. Christopher Harris. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Shout out to Tehran Turks and his mom. <laughs> yeah, Tehran Turks' mom and him. It's always. <laughs> I just caught that man. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> what's going on, Turks? As a matter of fact, look, I'm wearing my Lions jersey. So, hey, really, what's going on, Turks? Exactly. Doing, what's man? what's really good, oh, Turks? Man. Shout um, out to Turks. Shout out to Pilot uh, <laughs> and all those guys. <laughs> Delayed reaction on that one, man. No, that's fine. That's good. That's good. That's how we like it on the show. We're we're long fuses on this show. So, yeah. So, for those who don't know, which is pretty much everyone but us, uh, this is basically going to be an extension of one of our conversations. We talk like two hours a week, three hours a week, something like that. Pretty often, yeah. We catch up on a regular basis. 
Yeah, so this is pretty much... I've been uh, <coughs> uh, 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 warming up to have Chris on my show for uh, years now, so this is this will be good. But um, guys, be sure to comment with any of your questions or thoughts, uh, and Chris Harris will uh, tell Chris Harris and I will tell you if you are right or wrong. Um, so, Chris, the, the way I the way I always start off my show is to ask my guests when they come on here for the first time, how would you describe your political beliefs, and then how would you say that you got there? Would you say it was like an aha moment? Or was there sort of a gradual evolution from something else? Talk, talk to us about that. Well, it's funny. I had this moment in my head right now where I'm sitting there thinking, remember uh, Blazing Saddles? And he had the scene where the sheriff was like, well, you know, long time ago on the wagon train, right? I just had this right, image. Right. That's why I want to tell my story, <laughs> get my feet up and, you know, talk about the wagon train and all the Indians circling around us and woof, they darker than us. <laughs> But uh, yeah, classic movie. You couldn't make that today because of political correctness. You definitely could but, not uh, make that movie today, no. But yes, I am a uh, a Christian constitutional conservative. That is the most succinct way to describe my worldview and the way I try to conduct myself, even though I fall short of the glory of God on occasion. But uh, yeah, that's the, that's my worldview is that of a Christian constitutional conservative. Um, the Christian party, I mean, that that started out more as a cultural thing. I mean, like a lot of people, I was a, a cultural Christian. You know, mama made me go to church. Right. And, uh, and, and the funny thing is, is that my father was a federal agent in the Air Force, and so he worked a lot. And he traveled all over the place we were, as I was growing up in Germany. And so um, my dad was not a churchgoer. And when he was in town, he would... Uh, you know, I mean, he, he was home fairly often, but when he's home, the last thing my dad wanted to do was to go to church on Sunday after being out there doing all the things that he did, you know, Monday through Saturday. And so I remember right. growing up, and my mom said to me, well, you know, all right, well, when you're 13 or 14, she says, you, you, you can decide whether or not you want to go to church or not. So of course at age 13, I was like, I don't want to go. And she said, I don't right. care. You're still going. So, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that, that, I mean, I, and I'm thankful that my mom helped instill that. Of course, my dad has, has since come to Christ, but so that Christian foundation was there. And of course, later on, I developed my own personal relationship, but the constitutional thing came, I would say that the conservative part came before the constitutional part. Um, uh, the try to make a long story short with the conservative part is uh, I just uh, put my toe into to free enterprise when I was younger in my 20s. And I just remember that I was investing all this time and energy uh, into trying to create this enterprise. And, uh, you know, like a lot of people do when they <clears throat> start out in free enterprise, I failed. Um, but I do remember as I was putting forth the effort and I was spending time and money or money that I really didn't have, I just remember thinking, it's like, you know what, when the day comes that I am wealthy, uh, anybody who tries to tell me that I should have to give more uh, because I have more, right? They can kiss my butt. You know, that was my thought. I was like, I'm out here, man. I'm I'm nine to five. I got a full time job, and from five to midnight, whatever, I'm out there busting my butt while everybody else is partying. And I just remember that was one of my first. I guess what you would almost call a conservative thought: the idea that there's something fundamentally wrong with saying that the person who's putting forth all this additional effort the reward is that government gets to take more of their money right. and redistribute it to those who aren't willing to work as hard. That just bothered me. And it's always bothered me ever since then. But yeah, I mean, long story short, along the way, 
uh, the 2000 presidential election is what piqued my intellectual curiosity and led me to actually go and study this whole constitution thing and this right. what's this whole electoral college thing. And so that was the transition and really what put me over the edge. Um, I, I was a, I, I left the Republican Party, I left the Democratic Party in 2002. Uh, and I be, but I became a conservative in 2006. I mean, I, I pretty much walked away. I left the Democratic Party in 2002, but I still had a little bit of feelings for it because at the end of the day, you know, when you're black, you're typically raised in this, you know, culture that tells you that you're supposed to be a Democrat. But by 2006, even if, even if you're not on the left, like even if you're not a progressive, you still just have to vote Democrat. Like you're black. You, you so got to vote Democrat, Democrat because right. you're black. I mean, because you're black. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So, OK. Um, so and then would you say when that was happening, would you say that you then did you sort of were you actively involved in politics then, or did that happen later? Well, uh, OK, so I actually started helping the very first political campaign I helped on was in 2002. Uh, one of my mentors, he was a county commissioner and just he started teaching me about politics and I helped him on his campaign as he ran for state Senate. And uh, that relationship we developed, he ended up giving me a referral, which allowed me to become a congressional intern. So I came out here to D.C. in 2003 and, you know, I got my foot in the political waters at that point and have stayed in it since then. Cool. Cool. And then so you then when did you what what brought about the desire to create one unhyphenated America? And what is it that you kind of seek to do on there? Well, I I can't say that I specifically created uh, another mentor because I, I put it like this. I have been fortunate enough to have gained access to mentorship uh, at different levels throughout my life. Um, different people who I've met, God's put in my path and uh, just, you know, they've They've blessed me with their mentorship, and one of them was Kevin. Uh, some people like Kevin Jackson. He uh, was formerly a Fox News contributor until he spoke the truth about some of Kevin, uh, uh, the Kavanaugh accusers, right? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Kevin's still my good friend and, and and mentor. And I met Kevin on Facebook, and that relationship went forward. And he said, "Hey, you know what? We've been working together. I did some radio shows with him." And he said, "You know, I got this idea for this." You know, organization unhyphenated America and he doesn't he didn't have the bandwidth to do it and he says you should run it and that was I think what back in 2011 and so yeah you know he said you this will be your baby you run it and that's what I've been doing since 2011 cool and so I know obviously I know about unhyphenated America but for those who don't follow it or haven't followed it yet by the way it's in the um uh be sure to check that out it's in the uh, show notes don't check it out now because you're watching the show, but check it out later. Um, what what are the types of things that you talk about on on hyphenated America? What's your I guess what what would you say your mission is with with that? Well, it's more or less to raise awareness. Um, but I always say like when people ask, well, what do you mean by an unhyphenated America? So it was really simple. It is what it sounds like. Uh, we believe that America is best when it's unhyphenated. Uh, which right. simply means that if you understand, if you believe, and if you embrace these uh, these foundational principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, uh, then you're an American. And if there's no need for any prefix or suffix, you're simply an American. And we promote that. And so, I, you know, I mean, me being the political wonk that I am, we talk along the lines of uh, all things geopolitical, socioeconomic, because they all go into this batter to make this cake. And you right. can't uh, you can't have a, a conversation without bringing all of that to bear. 
Now, right, exactly. You, you definitely can't. The, uh, people try, but you, you definitely can't. So what would you say, like, so, and I asked this to a few people, but I think you're definitely someone I want to ask this to since this is the, the I guess, the bulk of what we're, the, of our conversation. When you think American, what exactly does that mean to you to be American? Is it just a, a you know, a, a political uh, orientation because you, you live under the you know, the uh, jurisdiction of the U.S. federal government? Is it a cultural thing? Um, what exactly, do, when, you, when you say, you know, I, we should all just be American without hyphens, what does American mean to you that would apply to all of those people across the board? So it, what's interesting, I had a uh, argument, debate, if you will, where, with somebody who tried to say that uh, people from South America were Americans. And I'm like, no, they're they're not Americans. Right, <laughs> I'm right. Like, you know, and, and people from Central America that they're Americans. I'm like, no, if they're from like Panama, they're Panamanians. If they're from Ecuador, they're Ecuadorians, I guess. And you know, they're they're Chileans. They're not Americans. There's only one country, one nation that is American. And that's the United States of America. You won't find right. America in, in, in the name of any of the other, what, 165 or whatever like that name, nations that are in the world. So, I mean, that's pretty, you know, that's pretty basic. There's only one America. Um, but America is essentially a set of an, a set of ideas. Of course, uh, what is a nation? A nation is its, its, its culture, right? A nation is its borders, its language, right? That's what makes up a nation. But overall, America is an idea. It's a unique idea in the history of mankind that uh, that it, it espoused the idea. It, it leans on the laws of nature and nature's God, establishing the fact that we are all created equal, that uh, that we have a creator who endowed us with certain inalienable or some people say unalienable rights, uh, right. that governments are instituted among men for the express purpose of the protection of those rights. And that is a unique idea still to this day. I mean, they put that forth, what, in 1776 and then codified it in 1787. But still to this day, that is a unique idea that's not found anywhere else. So. So that's so American to you means the the living under the, the foundational principles of, of self-ownership and uh, what you would call a government by consent or, or, or so forth. So, OK, cool. Um, So one thing that affects um why there is hyphen hyphenation uh, or hyphenization however you would say that in america is that there is a and we can you know we'll talk about what we attribute that to but there is a disparity in the experience between different obviously every individual is different but between different demographic groups within the u.s so for example the two biggest areas where you can see disparity are in wealth and in uh, uh, treatment under the law, uh, or at least outcome under the law. So, for example, when it comes to wealth, the average, and this was staggering. I, I looked this up right yesterday, and I was kind of shocked that it was this high. But the average uh, white, and this is in the U.S., the average white household owns 80, 86 times more wealth than black ones and 68 mm -hmm. times more wealth than Hispanic ones. Their income is also higher, but the, the, the wealth ownership was, was staggering to me. Um, uh, uh, black and Hispanic people are three times more likely than white people to have their cars searched during a traffic stop. Uh, blacks are twice as likely to be arrested on drug charges as whites, despite uh, what are believed to be similar rates of drug use. Uh, black people typically get longer sentences than whites for similar convictions and so on and so forth. What would you what do you attribute these disparities in experience? Is it uh, on, on average between people of different races? Is it a is it purely a 
uh, a cultural or behavioral thing? Is it purely a, um, you know, a, a, you know, a racism thing? Is it something in between or is it something completely different? I think it's all of the above. I mean, you can't, we're talking about human beings. We're talking about 320 plus million human beings. And so what one, what people like to do for good and bad, right, is that they try to attribute, it's the tribalism. They try to attribute all things to one group of people. Right, right. And, uh, sorry, one second, Spike. Sorry about that, Spike. No problem. So, yeah, what ends up happening is that people will see, let's say, a particular a police officer. Well, okay, you have a police officer who has his own set of beliefs. And unfortunately, that person is going to bring their beliefs to the table. Uh, and now, I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, right, they could be somebody who's rather, rather open-minded. They could be somebody who's had uh, this belief drilled into them that, all people of a particular ethnicity or a particular look are a act in a particular way. And so right. they're prejudiced in that way. Um, what bothers me is that there's, I think there's actually prejudice across the board. And most people are not willing to be honest about the prejudice that they have. Um, because you have people on, <clears throat> who are black who are just as prejudiced against white people as some white people are prejudiced against black people. Right. Or, you know, different ethnicities. Um, but how much of that is media? How much of that is personal experience? How much of that is the culture that you raised in? I mean, I, I don't think anybody can quantify that. Um, but I do think that all those different uh, sources play a role. Fair enough. So, and that's, and so you had mentioned there's different, there's prejudice within every group and, and some prejudice is higher than others. Obviously, when you if you're if you have 86 times the wealth of someone else, your ability to exert your prejudice on others, or or for your even if you're not meaning to exert it, just the the effect of your prejudice is obviously of higher uh, effect on others. And there are people on the intersectional left that would say that that means that only those that have that kind of wealth could even truly be racist, which means they're redefining words. But that's that's a whole other subject that we probably won't get into. Well, I'll, I'll let you get into. It. <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk about this, right? Because what's interesting, and and um, the LGBT community, which I, I, I mean, they're always adding letters, so I ended up calling them the LGBT QRSTUV WXYZ Mafia, uh, because right. that's how they behave. Um, is that? Yeah, I mean, what's the what's the median household income among LGBT? Uh, I'm pretty certain it's a lot higher than that. For example, of Blacks or African Americans to to use the term that people are more comfortable with using, even though I disagree with the term African American, obviously. But yeah, I mean, what's the wealth rat? What's the wealth gap between LGBT versus the average everyday Black person? Right? They have power. See, and what's interesting is when you start trying to have these conversations, these debates with people um, on the left, and we'll just use that generic term on the left, right? right. Um, uh, and, and when I say on the left, I mean to the left of the Constitution, right? I mean, just to, I guess if we're going to go further, let me explain that in my belief, my view that there is a, a, a spectrum and that I feel like our Constitution is right there in the middle. So I call myself more or less a constitutional moderate because the Constitution uh, establishes a necessity of government 
but that it must be limited with enumerated powers, right? When, and that's always pointed out to people to understand that there's three entities that are discussed in the Constitution. There's we, the people, we as individuals, right? There's the state, the states rather, and then there's the government, the federal government. And it's a compact between these three entities and only we, the people have rights, but we actually give certain powers to the states and then we empower the states to give uh, powers to the federal government certain powers uh and then but everything to the left of that idea where you know you start getting into bigger government where governments are able to uh interfere in the more things in the free market i mean i call that leftism and all these ideologies of socialism communism fascism those are all to the left of my belief system as a constitutional monarch right and in my belief, the further left you go, the bigger the government, the smaller the individual. Uh, the further right you go, the smaller the government, the bigger the individual. And I know you and I being buddies, we've talked about this ad nauseum. I know you are more to the right than I am, but people think that somebody being more to the right means that they must be a Nazi. And I'm like, oh yeah, Spike's a Nazi, right? And also, yeah, if we're if, if like, we're using if we're using the because there's I mean there's a myriad of different ways you can use left and right, but if we're using left and right to mean left is is more government and right is less government and, you know, taken all the way to their, their final conclusions, you would definitely be somewhere, I guess, right of center. Or you'd be a moderate and I would be as far, I'd be just past, like there'd be a border, a barrier where the right is. And I'd be just on the other side of that. Um, so yeah, no, I'm like, like, yeah, looking, so. at you through the, uh, looking at you through the binoculars. Yeah, like, like, hey, everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. right. So but yeah. I mean, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. So no, I just was saying is that what's fascinating is that they're talking about institutional racism and all these things that, you know, that, that the left talks about. And I'm like, well, fine. If institutional racism is a problem, then why don't we reduce the, the size and scope and the power of the institutions? Right. But right. they don't think like that. They're like, well, right. no, the best thing to do is we need to give more power to the government. You know, and, and I'm like, OK, so that means everybody who works in the government is is this super moral agent who would never, ever, never. Oh, I would never do that. I would never oppress anyone. Right. It's like, is, it, is that what happens? You get elected or you get appointed or you rise up through the ranks in the bureaucracy and all of a sudden you're this super moral agent. That's that stupid. It's just stupid to even say that. That you weren't before. So that's the whole thing. The premise of, and this is where, you know, I have bits of agreement and disagreement with, with pretty much everyone, but a lot of people on the left buy into the concept that the government is inherently corrupt. And then they add additional things. The government is inherently racist. The government exists to uh, 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 promote and protect white supremacy. The government exists for, for colonialism and all these things. And I go, okay, great. So then we should definitely be knocking that thing down so that I can't do that. And they're like, no, we need to grow it and take it over so that now it's something that it, we believe it's never been. And, and, and But we have to use those same people that have been doing all of those things and and we have to become the majority, even though we're decidedly the minority. Um, and and it's a self defeating thing. Um, here's something that that uh, you know when bringing whenever I bring on conservatives, the 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 thing is that so conservatives and and I would I would give you as an example. You and I agree on the the precepts of, for example, natural rights and um and the idea of uh, self ownership and and inalienable rights and 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 
where they come from. And so we believe that we own ourselves. We b- believe that we own the product of our labor and that therefore we, we own the property mm. that we can accumulate through our labor and that we have in, per- in perpetuity ownership of that that we can assign to other people. So that's why we believe in being able to create companies. We believe in be- being able to create yes. a, a wealth legacy that you can uh, bequeath to your, you know, whoever you want to and that they, they can now, because it's been given to them by someone who rightfully owned it, that they can then do whatever they want with it and, and so on and so yeah. forth. And that that is the the basis of civilization is people making long-term decisions to be able to affect future mm-hmm. uh, generations. And that if you don't have that, you don't have those propertarian concepts, then you're not going to end up having a civilization. You're going to have people thinking in the here and now um, and making terrible decisions that uh, affect everyone poorly. So we all agree on that. We both agree on that. Where we disagree yeah. is when it comes to how best to carry that out. So when, for example, when you mention the Constitution and it has the, the Bill of Rights and it is based mm-hmm. on the precepts of that were in the Declaration of Independence. Um, yes. Now, we know uh, manifestly, you know, 229 years later, we are 200. I'm doing the math wrong. 200 and however many years later from when it, from when the Constitution replaced the Articles of Confederation. We know that mm-hmm. we now have a government that looks nothing like what the founders uh, intended. And we know yes. that even from the beginning, there were things that were done that probably weren't what the founders intended, like the the the, the, the way that they handled the whiskey tax revolt and uh, the way that mm-hmm. um, that they handled veterans who were uh, of, of the revolution who were forced to uh, yes. pay off debts that, you know, that they hadn't made to, to pay off the Revolutionary War debts and things like that. And we know Japanese internment. We know, you know, the, the Tuskegee yes. experience. We can spend all day talking about that stuff. So... As an anarchist, one of the things that we hear from someone like uh, Lysander uh, Spooner, he says that the Constitution, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, he says that the Constitution is was either not designed to protect our rights or has failed mm-hmm. to do so, and that either way, it's something that we shouldn't be using as a guidepost, that we should be looking at just specifically at our natural rights and stop using a government document as our guidepost. What would you say in response to that? I'd say it's, you know, it's fair. I mean, it's very reasonable that I, I can understand why somebody would come to that conclusion. Right. Um, the the fallacy that I see is that uh, it's also the whole idea of like, well, one way or another, men are not all angels. And so what I think is that if you're going to go to the uh, to the extreme, of course, with the idea of anarchy, um, that assumes that still people are going to be moral agents. I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of assumptions made in every ideology, in my opinion, is that, and it, it, it always assumes the best case scenario. <laughs> but that's and, that's uh, sort of, that's how you present it is, is, is you know, well, this is going to be great because here's how it's going to, here's how it's going to play out. Yeah. I mean, and that's it. I mean, we, we all present the best case scenario whenever we present any of our ideologies. Um, what I, there's a quote from John uh, John Quincy Adams, excuse me, not John Quincy Adams, but uh, President John Adams, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have this here, so bear with me. I just want to make sure I, I say it correctly. And you this like is how I from, just butchered, uh, like how I just butchered the Spooner quote. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean that that too. <laughs> but um, this is it's on the idea of religion and morality, and it, this was an address that John Adam John Adams did to the first brigade first brigade of the third division of the militia of Massachusetts. And this is October 11th in 1798. This is kind of a 
this is not not even the whole statement, but I'm going to try to condense this. He says, but uh, but should the people of America once become capable of the deep simulation towards one another and towards foreign nations, which assumes the language of justice and moderation, while it is practicing inequity and extravagance and displays in the most captivating manner, the charming pictures of candor, frankness and sincerity, while it is rioting and rapine and insolence, this country will be the most miserable habitation in the world because we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. So avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. And, and, and I refer to that quote all the time because once again, I mean, that, that just tells you, it's like we're creating this constitution and it's based on the idea that the society as a whole will act in a moral and religious. And in, in, in this regard, when they say religious, I mean, they're, they're not talking about Hinduism or Taoism or anything like that. It's Judeo-Christian morality is what they're talking about when they say in a uh, moral and religious people. Right. Um, now, as we quickly found out, it, it wasn't very long after the, the Constitution was ratified. Um, although, all, like I said, our Constitution was already ratified by that point. So this has been like 12 years, right, after the right. Constitution was ratified. He's already making it clear. It's like, this Constitution is not the answer. And I, I think that's what we have to get around to. Is even though I talk about um, being a Christian constitutional conservative, the, the Christian part is much more important than the Constitution part. And that's where, like, for you and I, for example, and we've had this discussion, I don't need a law that tells me don't go beat up someone, right? I don't need a law that tells me not to, to go rape someone. I don't need any of those right, laws right. being created right. because I was raised in a culture with a certain moral standing. And so it goes in alignment with these, you know, Christian constitutional conservative beliefs. But that's the best case scenario. We know that everybody's not raised in that matter. No, no, no they're raised almost pretty much in the opposite. Many are, are raised, we talk about our cousins, they are, are, are raised uh, decidedly differently. So something you mentioned there is, is that even, so there's an acknowledgement there. There's two acknowledgements there. One is that uh, it's the, the Constitution or, or any foundational, you know, no, no government charter is the answer to what ails us. It's not, it's not a societal fix. The other uh, acknowledgement is that it requires a moral people. People have to follow the precepts and the ideas and the morality exactly. behind the Constitution. That is a less extreme version of when people say, for example, uh, using another ideology, for example, saying, well, you know, communism would work if people would just stop, you know, having self-interest and stop having greed and stop wanting to do more for themselves than for strangers and were willing to, you know, uh, uh, you know, work hard every day and, and only get the same amount that everyone else gets, even if they didn't work hard, then communism would work great. And that's, that's true. Communism would work amazingly. Uh, if, if that were the case, it's not the case. And so, um, there are many different versions of anarchy. My version of anarchy is that I don't, I don't, uh, I don't claim that it's going to be perfect. I'm not even hundred percent certain that it could work. My claim is that the worst case scenario is that, uh, we end up in a situation similar to what we have now where warlords have taken over um, and uh, or, or different groups of people have taken over and that they tell us what to do and that they take our money 
and use it on what they want and that they uh, eventually teach and condition our children that this is perfectly normal and that this is a, a healthy thing so that when they grow up, they don't even really resist it. They just they just say that it's fine. So in my in my idea with uh, anarchism, the worst case scenario is that we end up with what we have now. Um, you know, that, you know, where we, we just end up back here. Um, the best case scenario or something in between is that we have taken the ability to effectively use violence uh, or force in any kind uh, uh, to to affect the, the uh, uh, behaviors of others. We've decentralized that down to the individual and allowed them to either use that themselves or sublet that out voluntarily as opposed to in a in a uh and i know we're not a democracy we're a republic but in a in a democratic system of of choosing people that that decide how we're all going to live um but so i wanted to talk to you about uh uh, about uh, something a little bit off subject um but uh it's something that comes up a lot which is uh when people talk about uh you know different cultural things and they talk about in the past the there's this uh, refrain that the problems of the world are as a result of, and I'll say for lack of a better catch-all term, white people, but but of the West, of of European descent people um, that have, you know, that the things were fine until, you know, the, the whites came about and started conquering and... Um, and, uh, you know, taking over everything and subjugating everyone. Um, so what well, can I, I'll, I'll, I know where you're yeah, going. No, go, ahead, go, ahead. No, go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, I just ordered and I'll uh, be picking it up as a matter of, I got notification earlier, um, that it's there at the Barnes and Noble. It's, uh, one of Thomas Sowell's books, basically, uh, thinking beyond stage one. Okay. And that's it in a nutshell. I mean, it's so easy to be intellectually lazy and say, oh, yeah, well, uh, it's the white man's fault, right? <laughs> as, as if, see, this is one of the things I point out to people. The history of human nature has been that of conquest, okay? The idea of somewhat stable nation states is really only something that has been happening in the last maybe 50 years, if that yeah, long. If, if that, if that, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe even the last 25 years. I mean, for the most part, I mean, yes, you've had uh, uh, Russia invaded um, Georgia, right? I mean, but in the last 25 or so years, how often has one nation invaded another nation and taken over another nation? Right. It's right. very rare. Now, prior to that, that was a normal thing. That was the standard, yeah. That was the standard, right? And 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 as Professor Walter Williams said, is that uh, they, you know just to to uh, you know quote him, he was basically saying that uh, prior to free enterprise, right, the only way that you got rich was to uh, was through plundering. Yep. You know, and, and so it's the free enterprise system has made it. Well, okay, I found a quote. Prior to capitalism, the way people amassed great wealth was by looting, plundering, and enslaving their fellow man. Capitalism made it possible to become wealthy by serving your fellow man. Right. right. Um, so I just had a conversation with somebody, and uh, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, but uh, supposedly, like, the wealthiest man who ever lived was King Mansa Musa, or however Musa. I say his yeah, name. Yeah, Musa. Yeah, from Mali, right? Yep. And, and I literally had a conversation with somebody. I was like, You do understand that he had slaves, right? Oh yeah. They're like, no, no. He, uh, he. I was like, man, shut up, stop. He had slaves. I mean, like, they're like, he traveled with this caravan of thousands of people. I'm like, you really think they were out there just voluntarily? They're just loving it. Yeah, they were out there because they got a good wage, right? Yeah, like, like, like they were groupies hanging out. Like, hey man, take me on tour with you, bro. 
I'll, right. I'll, I'll sleep on the I'll sleep on the floor of the bus, man. I just want to roll with you. That's not what happened. Right, right, right. <laughs> the people who were with King Matsumusa or Emperor, or whatever his title was, there were a right. handful of people who were part of the royal court, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and in their hanger-ons and whatever other bureaucrats, and everybody else was a slave. Mm-hmm. You know, that's and and like, do you think they were slaves by choice? No, they they were slaves by force. And it's the history of the world. I don't care what country, what continent you're talking about. Man has enslaved their fellow man throughout the history of mankind. And so that's why I always say, and people are like, man, you always try to defend the white man. No, I, I defend the truth. It's not to try to defend the white man. Show me, like, how do you think my ancestors ended up here, right? Like, I, I just had this conversation because there's a young man I'm mentoring. In fact, I'm talking to him in about a half hour. But I said, I said, Jay, let's think about this, for example. Today, ain't nobody hanging out in the Democratic Republic of Congo, right? I mean, there's not exactly like there's lots of people lined up at Heathrow Airport or at Charles de Gaulle Airport like, oh, where are you going, man? I'm taking a flight to the Congo. To the Democratic Republic of Congo, right, right, right. Who's hanging out in the Congo? In 2019, it's still inhospitable to outsiders. I mean, from a temperature standpoint, it's just not a hospitable climate. And so the Congo was never really uh, uh, subjugated like many other places. And so the idea that when you keep that, that's this 2019. So what you're trying to get me to believe is that a bunch of white boys in a rowboat went from Spain and Portugal and all that down the coast of Africa. And, you know, I mean, these you've seen what these slave ships look like. They're like maybe 150 feet long. They're not like huge tanker ships so yeah no it wasn't it wasn't an armada coming in they were merchants yeah Yeah. so they went down into the coast of africa and they went to the coast and they're like yo man i'm trading uh beads and this and that for and somebody's oh i got i got plenty of people because i said listen here's the reality here's what happened with war with human beings human beings my tribe wants that piece of land right and either either you're going to give it to me voluntarily or we're going to fight over it you know what happens when my tribe defeats your tribe, I'm killing you. I'm killing your sons, right? Your wives, your daughters, they're going to be raped and then they're going to be put into my tribe. That's what right. happens. Right, right, right. We, we just kill everything, right? But then what ended up happening afterwards is like, hey, so all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute. I don't have to kill you. I can actually capture you and sell you to those other people. It's a win-win. And so, yeah, I mean, like the, I, I was explaining to this young man, I said like the whole roots narrative that like, you know, Kunta Kente was just chilling out in the, in, in the bush, hanging out, and all of a sudden a couple of white boys got off a ship with a rowboat and, uh, with, with a net, threw it over a net and dragged him and 12 million other black folks off into the... <laughs> I'm like, I mean, think about this. Don't you think that if 10 to 12 million black folks just came up missing at some point before it got to 10 to 12 million that people would be like, hey, there's white boys in a rowboat. Yeah, if you see you white know, people on a boat, just, go. yeah, get away from the white it's people on the boat. Yep. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, so it, it's just this whole narrative doesn't survive uh, stage one thinking. It doesn't pass the, uh, the sniff test. At the end of the day, Africans were enslaving other Africans, and they were trading them to the Trans-Saharan or the Transatlantic slave trade, which, yeah. by the way, the Trans-Saharan slave trade is still going on to this day. And so this idea that the, the evil white man is in charge, I said, OK, let's run with that. If the evil white man was in charge after everybody else was conquering, then maybe they were better at conquering. How about that? I mean, at the end of the day, whatever direction you take, 
your argument doesn't make any sense. Well, and that's the thing. So it's one of two things. Either this is the history of the world, like you said, and we only recently in, in the last maybe two or three generations have experienced this reality where you can in, in, in perpetuity create wealth through mostly voluntary means. Uh, and, yes. and that before that it was, you know, you're, you got to kill people and take their stuff or, or threaten to kill people and then take their stuff. Um, and you know, have them, uh, you know, give it to you in exchange for them not being killed. Um, it's either that and that that's just the history of the world and white people, you know, uh, just happen to, to, you know, also do that as well. Or this is something very unique to white people. And the, 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 that doesn't line up with the reality because if that was unique to white yeah. people, there wouldn't have been a Mongolian empire. There wouldn't have been a, exactly. an Egyptian, uh, uh, multiple Egyptian dynasty uh, empires. Or there the wouldn't Mayans. have been the Mayans. There was, uh, you know, we talk about Musa or uh, however you say his name. That was a guy that was conquering places and, and telling people what to do. You look at these, uh, you, you look at these, uh, the Aztecs, you look at any of these, uh, other empires and, and large civilizations, um, the, the the Han Dynasty, all of them, and and now we see you know communist China is kind of well they're not really communist anymore, but they're you know China is starting to expand, and and you see this is the na- the nature of humankind, and it and and for whatever reason combination of of good choices and good fortune, uh, white people have um you know white people did a good job on the Western Hemisphere of of, of conquering, and at one point had had conquered a lot, but that's nothing. Thank you so much. That's nothing uh, unique uh, unique to them. Um, I know I have limited time with you, so I just wanted to go over uh, two other things that uh, I had question for you. Um, oh, thank you again. Um, one is What's up, so, Patrick? yeah. Uh, my uh, Chris says hi. Hey. So, um, so one thing I wanted to talk about, since I have you on my show, uh, I, the thing that I think we probably disagree on the most. And, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think the thing that we probably disagree on most is the concept of, of immigration. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and it stems from, obviously, our belief of the role of government. You believe the role of government is, is, should be limited, and in, 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 uh, limited to you know, basically preserving our, uh, uh, protecting and preserving our natural rights and protecting us from invasion. And my belief is that the proper role of government is, is in the toilet. And so, um, and so <laughs> with immigration... Um, we know that, so when the Constitution was originally uh, created, um, it was with the idea that um, there, there's no mention of immigration. It was it was naturalization, which means you could come here, uh, pretty much anyone could come here, but if you wanted to become a citizen, you had to go through a process to become a citizen, which makes sense. If you want to vote, if you want to have diplomatic protection abroad, if you want to be able to serve uh, in, you know, run for office and things like that, you need to go through a process. Now, back then, the process, what you had to be to, was you had to be a, a white person who owned property, um, but but there was a process, um, and that they mm-hmm. left the question of immigration to the uh, to the states. Um, or to yes. the people and, and the states largely didn't care who came. So it was, we were, I hate the term open borders, um, because, uh, it's, it's private borders, but that's a whole other subject. We were effectively quote unquote open borders for the yeah. first, I don't know, 80 years, uh, until the Chinese exclusion acts happened. And what happened there was that the what Supreme court, so it was the 1860s and it was fought, okay. it, it was held in limbo for a while, while, um, it was fought in the courts, um, because the people fighting against it were saying that, and, and so the, the federal government claimed that it was them just, um, 
because it was a treaty between them and China, and part of it mm-hmm. was excluding the Chinese. And so there was this, uh, uh, they said, well, we're not really controlling immigration, we're just enforcing our treaty with China. And and so what ended up happening was the government was the the Supreme Court ended up saying not only can you do this because of the treaty, but we believe that the government has the power to um to the federal government has the the proper power to um to control immigration and and then they they'd used a definition of commerce to say that well people are commerce too and that's the same definition they've used to justify the Obamacare yeah. mandate and every other terrible thing that's happened since then. But so that that's where it started. Um, and so I know that you support, I know you support immigration, but you believe that the federal government should have control of it and there should be a legal process. What I wanted to ask you is how do you square that with your, with your belief of, of, you know, constitutional limited government as, as prescribed by the founders and of the concept of, of individual natural rights? Okay, so it's interesting you're talking about the Chinese Exclusion Act because I was doing some research and I talked about like uh, Ellis Island, right? And that mm-hmm. I found that prior to Ellis Island being created, which was 1885, you know, give or take, right? Um, right. Immigration into New York Harbor was controlled by the state of New York, right? right? Uh, and so, as you said, uh, there was not a federal thing. And it was right around that time frame where uh, it was decided that the federal government was going to begin to take over. I think there's a lot of issues um, that begin with different branches of the government deciding to usurp power, right? I mean, I, we go back to the the the, uh, the Supreme Court or the judicial branch, their idea of judicial review, uh, the idea that they get to decide the uh, what the Constitution says, right? I mean, right. that was a big right. thing that's had long-term consequences and repercussions when what was supposed to happen, at least my belief is that uh, the Supreme Court, the judicial judicial branch existed to judge the constitutionality of acts by individuals and by governments, right? To say, okay, you're trying to pass this law, it doesn't square up. (coughs) And, um, excuse me, one of the things I've pointed out, uh, and you have to forgive me here as I kind of go around the world, but I'll try to make this quick, is that, one of the things I pointed out when people say, well, how do we know what the Constitution says? I'm like, you have heard of the Federalist Papers and Anti-Federalist Papers, right? I mean, right. Th- those were very long books where it explained in detail what the discussion was, what the debate was as to what to summarize in these certain, bi- you know, the bills, the amendments, and everything like that. And right, so, right. I mean, so it's some for somebody to say, well, we don't really know what they meant when they said yeah, freedom. No. Of religion. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of stupid, yeah. but that's the problem is that you started with that road, but then you start going with like, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you had a bunch of presidents starting to take on more power in the late 1800s, of course, like in the early 1900s, like Teddy Roosevelt. But then you had, uh, you had the end of federalism with what the 16th and 17th amendment. So these all, these were all things that kind of led to us being where we are. Here's the thing. Immigration should be, let me, let me couch my words here. Right. Um, immigration should be open, but you cannot have a welfare state and quote open borders. Right. I mean, we're you just can't have that. It's just the stupidest thing on the planet to try to have a welfare state and open borders because what's going to happen? Well, people are going to flood in because it's like, hey, free stuff. So, yes, I would love to kill the welfare state. I'd love to drive a stake through the heart of the welfare state, kill it now, burn it, you know, salt it and burn it so it dies. 
Um, and, yes. and I, by the way, I agree, I agree with that as well. Yeah. We'll see because, uh, and, and a lot of that goes back to, because I mean, if we're going to talk about immigration, we have to talk about, you know, what was happening before. The United right. States is not a nation of immigrants. It's a nation of citizens, people who immigrated and became citizens through the naturalization process. So I, I hate that term. We're a nation of, of immigrants. We're not a nation of immigrants. We're a nation of citizens. Um, but this whole idea, I mean, listen, I, I I think we should protect our borders against invasion, you know, violent invaders. But in terms of just saying, hey, you know, uh, um, well, immigration, we're not going to have it. I I would like to see a little bit more, what I would say, control, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, control. So we kind of know who's coming in and out. But at the end of the day, kill the welfare state and you, you kill the incentive for a lot of people to come here and leech off of the system there shouldn't be a system because there's a lot of people who believe that we need this welfare state system because of that they bought in the whole robber baron lie right that it's just it's like the pie is only so big and there's only one pie it's only so big and because uh andrew carnegie or rockefeller had this huge piece of pie that somehow other people were not getting any pies so i mean it starts with that economic fallacy Right. Um, even though I just pointed out on my page, there's, there's been 259 new billionaires around the world, new billionaires. You know, and I was I was asking people, did you become poorer because this person became richer? No, you didn't. No. So the pie is always growing. You can always bake a new pie. There's all the pies getting bigger. So we don't have to worry about the pie. But we do have to worry about like, OK, who is coming in and do they have ill intentions in this day and age? We do have to be aware of who is coming in. You know, I just I mean, because there's people who want to do you harm. I wish it didn't have to be left up to the federal government. I would love to see more limited government, but also would think we need to have the rest- uh, restoration of federalism. I think we need to get rid of the 16th Amendment and the 17th Amendment. You know, and and that would be huge. Now, for for those who don't know, because uh, I believe the sixteenth is the one that made it where exactly. senators are elected by popular vote, correct? Uh, hold on, I think I was getting confused. The 16th yeah, see, I was, was I was sixteenth was taxes. Okay, so sixteenth was 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 uh, codifying income was codifying income tax, and then seventeenth yeah. was the one where uh, senators are elected by popular vote instead of by the exactly. state legislatures of that the legislatures of that state. Exactly. Which and those two it, things no, go ahead. have go played ahead. havoc with our nation because the states have not been represented since then. That's what people don't understand. I mean, when we were going to school and they said, oh, they, they told us like the 17th Amendment was this great thing because we're a democracy and it provided for the direct election of senators. Right. But just because our teachers were morons and they had been indoctrinated with leftists and they didn't realize the reason why the founders in their brilliance said, hey, you know what? The people will be represented through direct elections with the House of Representatives, but the states will be represented because we are a unite. We are the United States of America. And so each state, regardless of whether they're California with 50 million people or whatever the number is, or they're Wyoming with 500,000 people, they were each represented equally in the what you could call the upper chamber, the Senate, you know, the U.S. Senate, which. The left is trying to attack that today. They're trying to go after electoral college and they're trying, you know, they're like, well, why should, you know, why should Wyoming have as many uh, senators as California? You know, why should they get as many electoral guys? You know, it's like, 
it's constantly under attack. Well, and this is the this is how it has progressively changed. So originally, I mean, we say the United States of America, and we don't really think about what that means. The United States of America was supposed to mean 50, or I guess at that time, far fewer, 13 nation states who would be in a loose confederation with one another, which for those who don't know, before the Constitution, there was an there was a, gov- a charter, which I personally believe to be way superior, called the Articles of Confederation, which created an incredibly small, weak federal government that was pretty much just a membership club for those major for those states. And it would it had no power of taxation. It had very limited uh, lawmaking power. It was pretty much just to keep that union together. And it was very quickly usurped by uh, uh, Alexander Hamilton and, and uh, uh, Washington and the, and the Federalists who you know said we need a stronger government. Uh, in my estimation, I think that uh, Patrick Henry and the rest of the Anti-Federalists have been thoroughly vindicated at this point on, on what the final conclusion of, of having a strong government was. But so we started with this you know weak government, even with the Constitution, relatively weak government. And then by the time you get to the Civil War, you have now you have the precedent that you cannot leave the Union. And that if you do, it will lead to a war. And I'm certainly not excusing the reason why the Confederacy seceded to preserve slavery, but but it also set the precedent that you can't leave the Union. You cannot. Mm-hmm. If you try to leave the, if you try to secede at any level, we will come and kill you until you, as many of you until you stop and come back. And so that set that precedent. And then the next precedent was the 16th amendment, which was that, you know, we can now take as much of your money as we want, limited only to, uh, that it has to be uniform across the different states. Uh, so we can't tax you more in Wyoming than we do in South Carolina, Mm -hmm. but we can tax you however we see fit, uh, of your actual income. Um, which, which now ended now government could grow as big as it wanted to. The next thing that happened was the, uh, 17th Amendment, which which eliminated the, the, the Federalist protection of having the, the actual several states choose their, their representatives in this membership club. But that was already preceded by the fact that, well, you can't leave anyway, so screw you. Um, and then you get to the creation of the Federal Reserve. So now the government can just print out endless reams of, of money and, and say by fiat how much it's worth. So, I mean, you have this sort of steady, I mean, that's even before you get to the New Deal and the Great Society and all of that stuff. I want to get back to immigration. I agree with you, and I know I only have a few more minutes with you, so I, I want to I want to go on that. I agree with you that we need to end the welfare state, and immigration is only one of many reasons. I don't want immigration for illegal immigrants, legal immigrants, or you know your cousin. I don't want to, I don't want immigration for I, or I don't want I don't want uh, uh, welfare for for anyone because um, or at least not not government welfare. If private charities want to help people, that's great, but. In the same way that unlimited lavish welfare in, encourages people from poorer countries and less free countries to come here and, and understand. I mean, hey, I don't blame them. If I grow up in abject poverty and I'm in a country that's even less free than here and I, there's no real free enterprise and it's either sustenance farming or joining the military or running away and getting here and getting free everything for me and my kids. That's an that's an easy question to answer there. So I get why they do it, but so it's not only a draw for them, but it's a draw for people here to just have unlimited children and and you know live off of the paychecks you get from that and make make poor life choices that affect you and future generations, as opposed to a system that says 
a merit-based system that says, no, you can accumulate however much wealth you want. You can, we were going to have as little, you know, not just getting rid of the welfare state, but also getting rid of the, the corpo state or the, the, this, this situation where large corporations are, are, are allowed to create regulations that prevent competition. If you eliminate these things, it helps everyone. And it also makes it so that if someone's coming here legally, illegally, whatever, they're coming here to earn or to invest or to create wealth and value for themselves and others, not uh, for, for, for ill intent. Um, we could get into a whole thing if we had more time about how in an anarchist private border state, we as individuals would have sovereignty over our land, which would actually be a far better way of controlling immigration than anything that a, that a centrally planned government could ever do. But that, that obviously that'll be for another one. I, I wanted to end on, on talking about Blexit. Um, <laughs> it, uh, uh, cause, cause I know it's your favorite, favorite thing. So as for those who don't know, Blexit is this, uh, it started as a hashtag, movement and it's a play on brexit which is when the british are leaving the eu and blexit is basically the black exit from the democratic party um with the implication usually that they're joining the republican party and supporting president trump and so forth but the the uh but but at least that they're leaving the democratic party you do not have to be a member of a political party in order to exist as a black person or as any other race, but especially as it's really only black people that it's like you, you have to vote for this party, even if you don't agree with it, just because you're black. And so this is the, they're rejecting that and saying, no, we, I, I, I don't have to be a Democrat because I'm black. What I've noticed is that a lot of the people you're, you were, you were Blexit before Blexit was Blexit, but, uh, for your, your OG, you know, two, two decades in Blexit. But, uh, but for those who I've noticed a lot of the people that are, using that Blexit that truly are new, you know, Republicans or new conservatives or new non-Democrats. Um, and I even see this among Blexit people who are claiming the Libertarian Party because they still don't like Republicans. They haven't actually changed in many ways. They haven't really changed their ideological beliefs. They've just, no. it's sort of like they've switched. You're wearing your lion stuff for maximum triggering, by the way, he's wearing, he's a, a black Republican wearing lion's gear, um, maximum triggering all the way. But, uh, it would be like if you took off your lion's cap and your lion's hoodie and put on a a cowboy's hat and hoodie. I know you never would, but it, you know, or a, or a patriot's hat and hoodie or whatever. Um, you know, putting on you know a different team, but you haven't actually changed as a person, uh, or you haven't changed in terms of your beliefs. Um, what do you say? And 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 they also are still. It seems to be they're still very much in the identity politics. So they're still defining themselves politically as a black person, as opposed to here's what I believe. Here's what my beliefs are. If someone asks me what my beliefs are, I don't go, well, I'm a white Jew. Like, okay, what does that mean? Um, what are your thoughts about Blexit and identity politics? And, and, and what do you think the challenge is for people to make sure that it's not just a bunch of Democrats coming over to, you know, move everything to the left because they want to now wear a red hat now? I think that, um, I mean, like, for example, when I refer to myself as black, it's, typically only when I'm on the radio and you can't see me, so you don't know, right? Um, right. But you know, I don't say I'm a black conservative because this tan is permanent, man. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I didn't yeah, you don't, like go you sit don't. out in the sun. This is, you know, I mean, this, this I'm black, obviously. Right. You know, but as I always say, that's the most superficial aspect of my humanity. Uh, I am my brain. I am my mind, you know, and I did, I came to this, over time, it wasn't like I just woke up and said, you know what? Like you said, I didn't just take off one hat and throw on another hat. 
Right, um, right. It, it, was, it was a gradual thing. I, I did a Blexit, if you will, uh, in 2002. Right. But like many of those people, I still had, because of the strong cultural influence that I was raised by, I still kind of had some some inklings. Like I, when I came out here in 2003 working for my congressman, I still went to the Congressional Black Caucus event. And I was like, man, this is cool, man, all these black people and they're all, you know, higher uh, political. And I thought it was cool. Now, you wouldn't catch me dead at a Congressional Black Caucus event. You know, I mean, I, I don't even want to be around the Congressional Black Caucus because now I really realize who they are. Um, and that's the thing that I encourage. It's just like uh, if somebody is a new Christian, I will tell them, listen, OK, you have this feeling. You're deciding you have this faith. You want to trust God. But, you know, faith comes from hearing the word and from re and you really gain faith when you study the word. And, you know, excuse me for making that, you know, religious and then bringing it to the secular. But it's the same thing. If you really are going to do a Blexit, get down in the weeds, start studying. Because a lot of time, a lot of what everybody's talking about is superficial. I really did enjoy watching. I've watched probably a dozen or more uh, walk away videos. I appreciated hearing. I was listening what, right, I was right. listening to what people were saying. And, and I think. In my opinion, if Candace ever hears this, I might bump into her tomorrow at the White House. But um, I think they should have done something similar and have no shame about it, but do something similar to the walkaway movement where it's like express. Why are you having this Blexit? Not right. just because because there's a lot of black folks who are leaving only because they're mad. It's, it's almost like that person who um, you're, you're breaking up with your boyfriend or girlfriend because you're mad at them. But you know you'll go back so then you to just them. rebound to someone else right yeah. exactly yeah. yep well you, you look you'll go back to that same boyfriend girlfriend you're just mad you threw stuff at them and everything you're like just that. mad right, 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 still, right yeah you still have the strong emotional attachment you're just mad because they didn't do what you wanted them to do as opposed right. to somebody who has said you know what you are not good for me i don't like who i am when i'm with you i don't like how you treat me i realize i'm better than this I am walking away because I realize I absolutely need to walk away because this is a bad situation for me. I am not seeing that with a lot of people who were part of the Blexit movement. You know, it seems more of an emotional response, like, I'm just, I don't love you anymore. You know, it's like, it's like a teenage high school breakup. That's, that's what it feels like to me, or seems like to me, rather, when I'm watching a lot of the people, it seems like they're just, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend breaking up in, in high school, as opposed to a real deliberate thought. Right. So I would say to Candace and, and all those people, it's like, how about having some mechanism? I mean, with the uh, with the resources that uh, Turning Point and Charlie Kirk have, how about having some mechanism where you're really trying to inform and educate people so it's not just an emotional decision? Right. So you've got so one example is, you know, I guess Blexit is the example of saying he ain't no good. I'm so mad at him. I'm, you know, screw him. I'm done with him. Oh, man, this guy's treating me good. And he's being nice to me. He's like, you know, my work, my work husband has finally crossed over into being my husband, husband. And, uh, you know, he's he's nice to me, and whatever. But what happens when you find out he's maybe not the best either? So it's great that people, especially anyone, black people are realizing the Democratic Party doesn't give a damn about them. What happens when they realize that a lot, I mean, the Republican Party maybe doesn't give a damn about them either? And and, and you have to have a, a philosophical underpinning for why you're doing any of this to begin with. Whereas the exactly. other one is saying, the other one is saying, 
you're no good for me. I need to get away from you because you do this, 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 and this. And moving forward, I'm going to, I deserve this, 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 and this. And I demand this, 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 and this. And I'm not going to jump into anything because I need to learn who I am as a person, blah, 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 blah. You know, like a healthy way of breaking up as opposed to, you know, cutting up all their stuff and, you know, slashing their tires because you still want to be with them and you're mad that they screwed up. And so you go with this person hoping to piss them off and then you end up going back to them. So it's a, that's my, I, I agree with you on that. I don't know how much time I have on you. I wanted uh, with you. I yeah, wanted to know. Minutes. Okay. So then I would like to then, yeah, we don't have time to talk about that. We'll have to bring you on another time. Um, so well, Chris, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate this. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Always a pleasure, man. I mean, you know, it's just, look, we, uh, we can't cut up here because like we would normally do on the phone, man, but yeah, it, it's a good conversation. Yeah, yeah, I've I've really enjoyed it. I hope to have you on again soon. Um, before I let you go, I just want to give you a chance to give any final thoughts, anything that you feel like we didn't have a chance to touch on, anything you want to plug, uh, any upcoming stuff you want to talk about, anything you want to talk about. The floor is yours, Chris. So, well, yeah, I uh, hadn't really announced it, but yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to get an invitation to go out to the White House tomorrow. Uh, for the National African American History <laughs> event, <laughs> I'm like, uh, why they gotta call it African American? Yeah, but uh, look, if, if see everybody else is gonna be wanting to get next to the president, vice president, just to be all kissing and kissing up and everything like that, I'm gonna be like, oh, excuse me, Mr. President, can we stop calling it African American History, please? This you know, is what I wanted to talk idea. to you about: was African American versus black. But go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and because uh, culturally, I'm I'm American. I mean, right. obviously I'm black, but culturally I'm American. Um, there's little to no aspect of my culture that's African. And ha- after spending enough time around people who are Africans, they're quick to let people like me know that I'm not African. And I'm okay with that. I don't have any ill will towards it. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, so I do have, I'm going to be at that event and uh, I'll be doing some speaking for the Prince William County, uh, Virginia GOP at their annual uh, Lincoln Reagan dinner and a couple other things. But yeah, I mean, I need to get back to doing more writing for the Unhyphenated America page. Uh, I do have some people who are who are going to start doing some writing, but yeah, follow me on the Facebook page. You know, I, I like to you know keep people abreast of all that's going on and crack jokes and everything. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'll probably start going back on TV again. I kind of took a little hiatus to focus on some other things, but I'll probably start going back on TV again. But at the end of the day, my message, it's really not about me. Anybody who knows me knows I'm not like a self-aggrandizing person. I would very much like to just focus on my family and, and our economic development. But as the calling that God put in for me and a, a opportunity put for me to do what I do with Unhyphenated America, I would be happy if we can get rid of the identity politics where people just say, hey, I'm an American, regardless of the color of your skin or wherever you came from. Because if you understand, if you embrace, if you promote the principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you're an American. And we don't have any need for, I mean, the fact that you are of Croatian ethnic descent or Indian or whatever like that. It's all great. It's just cocktail party conversation about right. why you look the way you look. But at the end of the day, if you say, hey, I'm an American, I'm like, hey, great. I'm an American too. You know, and then we can just talk about where your family came from as, as just good conversation, but it doesn't have anything to do with your standing as an American. That's the goal that we're, that, that we want to promote. Cool. So yeah, guys, be sure to check out Chris 
on unhyphenatedamerica.org. Uh, or if you go on Facebook, he has his page, uh, Unhyphenated America. Uh, be sure to check out. He's got this Jewish guy that keeps promising he's going to write stuff for him, and he keeps just dropping the ball. But uh, but that's going to happen. Him. You can't trust can't him. Trust you cannot him, trust him. You can't trust him. You're like, hey, how you doing? Uh, where, where's those articles? I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I left them in my other phone. Um, so so be sure to check that out. But yeah, Unhyphenated America. Uh, unhyphenated America. If I have any Blexit people that are on here, or really anyone, check that out. Check me out. Check, uh, you know, uh, Muddied Waters of Freedom out. And uh, you can decide if you want to be a conservative or an anarchist. Pick anarchist. Uh, but no, guys, uh, Chris, thank you so much again. Um, and just stick with me during the outro. I'm going to talk with you for a second. But um, guys, thank you again yeah. for joining us for My Fellow Americans. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check us out. Muddied Waters Media out tomorrow night on the Writer's Block, where Matt Wright is going to be interviewing someone. And it's going to be... He just told me who it was, and I do this every time. He is going to, it's going to blow you. You won't believe who it's going to be. It's going to blow your mind. Be sure to check out special uh, uh, secret guest. It's not a secret. I just don't remember. And uh, and then uh, be sure to tune in on uh, Tuesday uh, for uh, next Tuesday for uh, the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where we will be parsing through the week's events as they went. And then be sure to come here again for uh next wednesday for my fellow americans uh we look forward to seeing you thank you again for joining us and god bless you
we will make 